With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to Fruit Loops Season 3, Episode 24. And thank you so goddamn much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Now, contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white. There are many well documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist, allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Mm -hmm. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod Discussion or joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Yes, and if you would like to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch on our website, but if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from and be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, this is part two of our episode on Cleophis Prince Jr., also known as the Claremont Killer, a black male serial killer from San Diego who raped and killed six white ladies. So if you're just tuning in and you haven't listened to part one, go back, listen to part one, and we'll wait for you right here. Yes, babies, we will will be here. We will not fail you. (laughs) So um, how you doing? I'm stressed out. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, I just have a lot on my plate this week, but hopefully it'll get better soon. And I'm looking forward to going to visit my sister in February. It's crazy. I'm going to visit my sister in Canada in February. (laughs) Oh, my God. On purpose? (laughs) Yeah, on purpose. Well, originally they were going to come visit me, but um, my brother-in-law got sick, so I'm going to go visit them. 
oh, okay. Well, that's nice. That'll be nice. I mean, yeah, you'll be indoors. So it's not like, yeah, yeah. Like frostbite. (laughs) And they have a big mall there and lots of stuff to do indoors. So it's kind of like Arizona in the summer. (laughs) Ah, yes. This I'm familiar with. Nobody goes out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm out here in these streets trying to be my best sexy self and get my shit together. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) keep me on the prayer list. All Um, right. So now we are going to get into some listener letters. Ooh, hello, angels. Hello. Uh, so uh, it looks like you've got a doozy, Beth. I, I listened to both voicemails also. Um, yeah, I- yeah. We got a beautiful voicemail from a listener, but unfortunately, the quality of the audio wasn't very good. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't, wasn't quite sure of her name. You, I thought it you sounded like Jade. 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 Yeah. yeah. It, it might be Jade. So sorry if we got it wrong. Um, it was hard to hear. Plus, I'm going deaf from all the rock concerts I went to as a kid. So <laughs> I have a hard time hearing things. <laughs> but anyway, uh, she's been listening to us for the last three weeks and she's already binged all three seasons. Oh, my and gosh. She's excited for our new episodes. And she finds us entertaining and really appreciates how we talk about mental health. Yes. Uh, I just have to say thank you so much for the vo- the voicemails and uh, we loved yeah. hearing from you. Um, yeah, they're and, beautiful. Yeah, and anybody else who's reached out to us on all the things, all platforms. So hip hop air horns for all. Yeah, thank you so so much. Yes, yep. thank you guys. Um, so now we're gonna take a quick bake and we're quick bake. Maybe you are. Don't tell anybody. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. Coming up in season one of Scene of the Crime, Delphi. Why Libby? Why Abby? Why Delphi? Those girls loved each other. They were good friends. Neither one of them left each other's side. Both those girls are heroes. Before the words came out, I knew. I knew this was not good. Purse and phone was thrown over the fence. As soon as I saw that, I knew something really bad happened. The detectives were like, this is not going to take that long. It's a small town. Somebody's going to say something, and this is all going to be over soon. The first couple of weeks, that's what it felt like, is that any day now. And then all of a sudden, a couple of weeks turned into a couple of months. My biggest fear is that whoever did this would do it again. I don't want that to happen to another family, because I'm telling you, it's hell. There was no logical reason anybody would have known those girls will be there that day. Child abduction murders in and of themselves are incredibly rare, but the abduction of two children at one time is even rarer. I've only seen a couple in my entire career. There is a lot of crime scene evidence. Uh, Some of it is somewhat odd. Shortly after solving the Golden State Killer case, I did speak with an investigator that was involved with the Delphi murders. If you haven't walked across the bridge, you don't understand, right? Yeah, like that bridge is scary. It is scary. And those railroad ties are rotted. That bridge scares me. So for somebody to be able to cross it, he's moving well enough that he has to know the bridge. He's done that before. It could have been any one of our kids. It could have been anyone at the bridge that day. It's hard for me to believe that anybody could do something so bizarre and horrible and not feel compelled to tell somebody about it. Those two young girls were everybody's daughter. I refuse to accept evil as a standard bearer in American society. I believe we're one piece of the puzzle away from figuring out who this individual is to the killer who may be in this room. Do you want to know what we know? And one day you will. 
You've just listened to a short preview of Scene of the Crime Season 1, Delphi. Be sure to subscribe right now wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Uh, So uh, who are we talking about again, Beth? This is part two of our episode on Cleophas Prince Jr., an American serial killer who was convicted and sentenced to death in 1993 for the murders of six women in San Diego County, California. So now we're going to dive back into the timeline. We started it on the last episode, but now we're continuing. Yeah. So take it away, Beth. Well, to summarize, uh, Cleophas Prince was in the Navy, but was court-martialed for larceny and then discharged shortly afterwards. He then began burglarizing residences, and he killed three young white women in San Diego in the early 90s. His MO was to follow them to their apartments and either break in, push, or talk his way in, and then kill them by stabbing them to death. Uh, He did not always have a sexual motivation in that he did not always rape the women um, right. but yeah he did he did kill them he did kill them yes uh so he was sometimes brazen i'll say he killed one woman while her friend was still at the pool nearby and was seen leaving the crime scene by multiple people he also talked about the crimes to his friends like bragging about it although it seems the friends thought he was just bullshitting so we left off after another attempted murder but that woman was able to fight him off and get away yeah you go girl Mm -hmm. So the FBI was called in and the Claremont killer was profiled. The police began looking for a man who was a loner, who had trouble holding down a job and who was extremely agitated after Holly Tarr's murder. Prince was actually eliminated as a subject, even though, if you recall, he signed into the rec room after the TARS. He had a girlfriend and a job, and when he was questioned, he was not nervous at all. He apparently was able to talk his way out of becoming a suspect. In early May 1990, Prince moved to the East San Diego apartment complex called the Top of the Hill. Late in the evening of May 20th, 1990, Alyssa Naomi Keller, a 38-year-old white woman who also lived in that complex, spoke on the telephone to her 17-year-old daughter, Michelle, who was away for the weekend. On May 21st, 1990, Alyssa never showed up for work, which was unusual, and calls placed to her home went unanswered. Her daughter, Michelle, arrived at their home at approximately 11.30 p.m. on that same day. Immediately, Michelle felt that there was something wrong. The deadbolt on the front door was not locked and the chain was off the hook, which was Mm -hmm. unusual. Mm -hmm. All of the lights were off and her mother usually left at least a light on in the kitchen. And I do that, too. Yeah, I I like to do that too. But my husband's he's like the the light police. The light police. Uh, he he's always trying to keep our electric bill really like down. And uh, so I go to bed thinking, oh, in case I get up in the morning, I won't I won't like trip or step on a scorpion right, or, or right. trip over a dog. Um, but. I do anyway, because he comes in after me. <laughs> he turns the lights turn, off. Turns the lights off. <laughs> um, when uh, Michelle went to her bedroom, she discovered her mother's body lying on the floor with a blanket covering her torso. She screamed and ran to the living room to call 911. Alyssa lay on the carpet with her arms and legs splayed out. She wore only a tank top and there were nine tightly clustered, very deep stab wounds in her chest, along with some defensive wounds. There was blood smeared on her arms and legs and significant bruising to her face. It appeared that she had probably been punched in the face and then choked. 
When she was found, Alyssa had been dead between six and 12 hours, possibly longer. By the way, there's a documentary about this case. Uh-huh. And uh, they, they showed crime scene photos of oh. this one. Lots of blood smeared. Yikes. Initially, Alisa's murder was not connected to the Claremont killings because she was not killed in the Claremont area, but about 15 miles away. And police were unaware that the killer had moved. She was also older than the other victims. And it has been speculated that Prince may have actually been targeting Elisa's daughter, Michelle, but she wasn't home. The perpetrator's point of entry was a partially opened window. Shoe prints on the sill and on a nearby stereo were made by Nike or Nike Orden chairs. <laughs> what? <laughs> Never heard of that kind. Oh, no, that's a new one. <laughs> made by Nike Air Jordan athletic shoes and were similar to those found at the scene of Holly Tar's murder. Also, bloody marks in a honeycomb or crosshatch pattern were found on the bathroom counter. Uh, right. Uh, that was one of his signatures. Um, yeah. Alyssa had a gold nugget ring that she always wore and it was missing. Prince was seen wearing a gold nugget ring after the murder. Oh, my God. The ring was later stolen from Prince, but was traced to him during the murder investigation. Michael Barry, a neighbor and acquaintance of Prince's when they both lived at the top of the hill apartments, noticed that Prince possessed a large quantity of jewelry. Prince told Barry that he got it off the girls he had slept with and that, quote, they would not be needing them anymore. Ooh, chills up my spine. I know. <laughs> Prince also taught Barry how to break into an apartment by using a Blockbuster video store card, remarking that as long as it doesn't have a deadbolt, I can get into the apartment. <sighs> Yikes. Um, yeah. Sometime after Elisa's murder, Prince and a group of other men were talking about the crime when Prince bragged, I took her out. But the remark was made while they were getting ready for a party and everyone just thought it was a joke. Ooh, I don't know what you and your friends joke about. Yeah, but... I know. That's... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very funny joke. <laughs> it doesn't. But, you know, I, I, I was listening to a, a, com a female comedian talk about how dudes sort of talk about their dicks. And it's like a conquest. So maybe right. when they heard him say, I took her out. Um, maybe they were like, oh, that means maybe he's just slept with her or something. I don't know. It's a stretch. Yeah, but that's a big stretch. <laughs> <laughs> On August 2nd, 1990, Anna McComer, who resided at the Top of the Hill apartment complex, and two friends who were visiting her from Italy, returned to Anna's apartment and discovered that a large amount of cash in 50 and $100 bills had been stolen, along with some Italian lire belonging to the Italian visitors. What's Italian Leary? It's their dollars. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So on August 3rd, 1990, Prince exchanged 94,000 Italian liar for $73 at the San Diego Thomas Cook Foreign Exchange Office. He also deposited $1,100 into his bank account. The cash deposit was far greater than any he previously had made in the five months that he had that account. On September 13th, 1990, at about 8 a.m., Pamela Clark left her home in the University City area of San Diego and went to the Family Fitness Center on Miramar Road. She was white, 42 years old, and very fit. She was only a year away from earning a master's degree
degree in counseling psychology at the University of Humanistic Studies in Del Mar. Oh, man. Um, Her husband of three years left their home at approximately 8.30 a.m. Pamela's 18-year-old daughter, Amber, was still in the home sleeping. Amber Clark had just started her first year at Mesa College. She was planning to become a counselor like her mother. At about 10 a.m., neighbors heard Amber speaking or arguing with somebody inside the house. One neighbor heard Amber call out as if afraid and also heard a male voice, but the neighbor believed that nothing serious was happening. Mm. Pamela, who worked as a massage therapist at the same office as her husband, who was an acupuncturist, did not appear for work uh, for her 11 a.m. appointment. No one answered the telephone at the Clark's home either. Pamela's husband asked a family friend to go check on her. There, they discovered Pamela Clark's body in the entryway of the home. Pamela was nude, lying on her back with her arms spread at 90 degrees to her body and her legs together. Like uh, um, like Jesus on the cross. Yeah. She had suffered 11 deep clustered stab wounds to the upper chest in an area measuring four and one half by three and one half inches. There was evidence indicating she had been dragged to that location and a knife lay near her head. Amber Clark's body lay on the floor, partly in a hallway and partly in a bedroom. She was clothed, but her breasts were exposed. Her legs were spread somewhat apart. Like her mother, she had suffered 11 deep, closely clustered stab wounds to her upper chest area, measuring three by three and one quarter inches. Blood was smeared on her body. A knife blade lay on the floor in the bedroom. That's wild if they were both stabbed 11 times in like similar fashion. Yeah, like purposefully. Yeah. Um, Pamela Clark's purse was found on her bed, but there was no money in it. And her wedding ring was missing. Possible points of entry included a partially open dining room window from which a screen had been removed and a living room sliding glass door. The door handle bore marks of silica and other materials consistent with the gypsum that Prince used in the place of his employment. Shoe prints outside led back and forth under the dining room window. So gypsum, uh, uh, we used it a long time ago, like in our garden. Yeah, um, yeah. It, that's what people use it for, right? Um, Among other things. I'm not sure what else, but uh, they use it in construction, but I'm not really sure what for. Oh, okay. Um, Prince owned Eastland brand shoes that were later matched to shoe prints found under the window and in the dining room. Two people later testified that they saw Prince with Pamela Clark's wedding ring, and Prince had called in sick to work on the day of the Clark murders. During the summer of 1990, Prince made comments to his co-workers that he was dating a massage therapist and that he was doing the massage therapist and her daughter, a comment that they took to refer to sexual relations. Prince commented that the massage therapist was an older white woman with a good body and a youthful appearance, and the daughter, aged 17 or 18, was attractive. He offered to sell co-workers jewelry on several occasions. So see, my theory, maybe it really wasn't a stretch. Like, uh, him saying he was doing this, these girls or that he took them out. I I wonder in, in his mind if he was like, well, of course, they're not going to think I murdered somebody. They're just going to think that I was giving them a good dicking or something. I don't know. Uh, just the way it was said, it, like this one, he says they, he was doing them. The other one, he, he said he took her out. So I, I don't know. To me, it sounds like he killed her. Mm, mm. But I don't know. Okay. Well, in the autumn of 1990, Prince was living at the top of the Hill apartment complex with Shirley Beasley, a male, and Shirley's younger brother, Mo, Moish, Moisha, Mo, Mo, Mohishia, 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 
Uh, and <laughs> Mohitia, Charla Lewis had moved out. Um, Prince told Mohitia that he could break into apartments at the nearby Trojan apartment building because the doors lacked deadbolts. I'm going to go on a tangent. Okay. Um, just a real short one. So the name Shirley um, originally uh, was a, a male name. Did you know that? No, I had no yeah. idea. I've never, I've never seen that before. Interesting. Yeah, originally, uh, it, well, it's a surname, and it it was given to males as a first name way back, a uh, long time ago, and then it was actually Charlotte Bronte, not one of the Bronte sisters, uh, who wrote a book called Shirley, mm-hmm. and she named uh, the female character Shirley. And it was supposed to be funny because oh. it was a male name. <laughs> oh, interesting. Look at you with the hard facts. <laughs> and then after that, uh, it became a, a, a woman's name. And now we hardly ever hear of a male n- named Shirley. So I thought that was interesting. This has been Culture Corner with Jess Beth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Jess Beth and her white white people facts. <laughs> uh, this this is we? white people facts by Beth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a new one. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what accent I'm trying to be doing. <laughs> it's okay. It's entertaining. I'm enjoying. <laughs> so, uh, where where are we? Uh, Prince committed three burglaries. That's you, girl. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so Prince committed three burglaries with Moesia, who was only 16 years old at the time. When committing these burglaries, Prince put socks on his hands as he approached the front door of the targeted home and then opened the door using a plastic card. Wow. <laughs> the image just... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the socks on his I'm hands. Remembering, socks, yeah, right? I'm remembering the last episode when he had like the the cloth on his head, and now he's got socks on his hand. He just, oh yeah. In my mind, he just looks ridiculous. <laughs> well, when you put it that way, it definitely sounds <laughs> sounds like it. Uh, so sock puppets are opening this door. I know. What would you do if somebody rolled up on you? Like, uh, <laughs> sir. Why are there socks on your hands, sir? <laughs> um, My sock puppets are strangling you. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. <laughs> so okay. Um, <laughs> Prince told Mohitia that he had been inside a home while the female occupant, occupant slept and that if she awakened, he would have cut her throat. He also told Mohitia that he surveilled the homes of women that he met at gyms. Prince also committed burglaries with Shirley Beasley. Prince would put socks on his hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's a detail I had not heard heard in other um because other case other cases I've never heard of that before. Putting hands yeah. on, socks on your hands? Socks on his hands. Yeah, it was in the uh court papers. <laughs> mm. Oh my god. Oh my god. Okay. So he would put socks on his hands and enter the apartments using a credit card. 
he, or a blockbuster card, you know. Mm, right, right. <laughs> That's a throwback. <laughs> yeah. For those of you listening who were born in the 2000s, there used to be this magical place where people would go and pick out movies to bring them home and watch in their VHS machines on Fridays yeah. and Saturday nights. It was great. It was fabulous. Yeah. yeah. Except for you always had to remember to bring them back or they charge you up the wazoo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you had to uh, rewind them. Yeah, you had to rewind the rewind. tapes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> that business deserved to die. Um, <laughs> you mention it. <laughs> uh, so no, um, anyway, yeah. So he okay. entered the apartments using a credit card. He would grab a knife in the apartment and tell Beasley that if whoever lived there showed up, Beasley should get out of the way and Prince would handle it. According to Beasley, Prince kept a large quantity of women's jewelry in the apartment that they shared. On December 19th, 1990, Patricia Van returned to her home from the Miramar Road Family Fitness Center at about 9.30 a.m. About 20 minutes later, she heard a soft knocking at the door and saw a black man standing there. She opened the door and the man asked for a person named Terry but nobody named Terry lived there. Then Patricia's neighbor, Erlene Schooner, came up behind him and challenged him, and he walked away. Whew. Yeah. Schooner had, or Schooner, I don't know, had seen the man examining nearby backyards and then entered a side yard and approached Van's front door. She had seen him get out of a car, noted the license plate, and gave that information to the police. The car was registered to Prince. And he was stopped by the police at 2.30 p.m. on the same day while driving away from the Family Fitness Center on Miramar Road. The vehicle was a gray Chevy Cavalier. Police cited Prince for his loud muffler. Oh, between January and February, a series of similar circumstances occurred with several women who worked out at the Miramar gym. The van's house was also subsequently burglarized. And that's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I would I would have to move. Yeah. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Take it away, Beth. The murderers terrorized the city. Newspaper articles noted the apparent connection among the crimes and the eventual designation of the murders as serial killings. They predicted another attack and compared the crimes to those committed by Jack the Ripper. It seems like they always go straight to Jack the Ripper. (laughs) (laughs) Don't they though? Oh my gosh. So uh, I follow the hashtag uh, Jack the Ripper on Instagram and every (laughs) once in a while uh, photos of his crime scenes will pop up in my feed. Oh, yeah, boy, they're horrible. Oh, boy, were they brutal. They were um, horrible. Whew. So there was a turn in the case in February 1991 when Prince tried to break into the house of another woman who he followed home from the health club. On the morning of February 3rd, 1991, Geraldine Peters returned home to her Scripps Ranch apartment from her usual morning workout at the Miramar gym. She undressed for a shower, then heard the knob of the front door rattling. Eee! She looked out and saw a black man leaning against the door with his hands in the area of the doorknob. I wonder if they had socks on him. (laughs) Uh, Good question. (laughs) She dressed and exited from her apartment through a sliding glass door and proceeded to the back of the apartment complex, screaming for help. Her neighbor, Jeffrey Pitch, responded. 
When Gerilyn and Jeffrey walked to the front of her apartment, the man was still standing at the door, bent over and working on the doorknob with some object. He wore gloves, not socks, it says. It says gloves. (laughs) When challenged, (laughs) the man claimed he was looking for a female friend whom he claimed to have seen entering Gerilyn's home. He then walked away, calling out a woman's (laughs) name. Yeah, good save, bro. Yeah. Not. I'm thinking uh, he wore gloves to murder and socks to burglarize. <laughs> oh, what if, what if, wow, okay, what if you're right? It could be. I mean, <laughs> could be. Yeah. Jeffrey walked down the street and saw the man driving away in a noisy vehicle at a high rate of speed. Geraldine's fiance, Mark Van Vertlo, arrived home and also witnessed the man enter an older silver-colored vehicle and drive away noisily at a high rate of speed. <laughs> this guy oh, was boy. not uh, not very stealth. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, goodness gracious. Um, a police officer took statements from Geraldine Peters, Jeffrey Pitch, and Mark Van Vertlo and proceeded to the family fitness center on Miramar with a description of the vehicle and the suspect. The officer asked fitness center employees to inform the police in the event they witnessed either the man or the vehicle in the vicinity of the establishment. The next day, Geraldine, who was employed at the same location as Charla Lewis, witnessed a man drop off Lewis at work. The man resembled Prince and drove an older model vehicle that had a loud muffler. What a coincidence. Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> We're on it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jeffrey Pitch, uh, Geraldine's neighbor, also identified Prince in a photo lineup that day. And later he identified a photograph of his car. Mm. Uh, I was about to read. Wendy, on, so on February 4th, <laughs> 1991, the fitness center's front desk manager called the police and said that she had observed a silver-colored car with a loud muffler driven by a black man drive through the fitness center parking lot, returning 15 minutes later. The car parked 30 feet from her office window, and she watched as the driver moved to the passenger side of the vehicle and then slumped down. So he was hunting. Uh, She was able to observe part of the vehicle license number, which she relayed to the police. Law enforcement officers arrived 15 minutes later and confronted Prince. Prince told the officers that he, he was waiting for his girlfriend, Cindy. A person named Cindy was present at the fitness center at the time. And although she was acquainted with Prince, she was not his girlfriend and had no plan to meet him that day. The officers placed Prince under arrest. I wonder if Cindy, if she was the one that he was uh, stalking. Ooh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't I, I guess we will never know. Unless, yeah. unless we send him a letter and ask him. Um, oh, God. And, <laughs> Not another one. <laughs> uh, a search of Prince's car uncovered a pair of black leather gloves in the center console and a pair of wool gloves on the driver's seat. Under the driver's seat was a knife with an eight-inch blade and five-inch handle. That is fucking huge. Yeah. Um, on the right front floorboard was a folding knife with a two and a half inch blade and a four inch handle. Jeez. Under the front seat were a steak knife and a small folding pocket knife. That's a lot of knives. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have different knives for uh, different <laughs> occasions, I guess. I guess so. Wow. Ooh, that's terrifying. Other employees at the fitness center had observed Prince's car in the center's parking lot on multiple occasions. They had seen a person who may have been Prince seated in the vehicle slumped down in the passenger's seat. 
Prince was questioned and released after police took a blood sample. Huh. Um, on February 23rd, 1991, an undercover police officer witnessed Prince drive into the Miramar Road Fitness Center parking lot and slowing as he observed a marked police vehicle parked in the lot, exit the center's parking lot and drive away at a high rate of speed. The muffler of his vehicle made a very loud sound. And sometime afterwards, Prince took off for Alabama where he had family. Prince was finally arrested on March 1st, 1991 in Birmingham, Alabama. Results from blood and saliva samples linked him to the murders of Janine Marie Weinhold, and the pattern of the crimes tied him to the others, as well as shoe prints and glove prints, which were the crosshatch or honeycomb bloodstain patterns, and they matched gloves that had been found in his car. Wow. Um... Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ohio is a land of mystery. From missing shipwrecks and lost treasure beneath her surface to strange phenomenon slicing through her skies. From myths that have evolved around historic events and people to the unsolved murders and disappearances that keep her communities wondering what happened. Find Ohio Mysteries on your favorite podcast app and let's explore the inexplicable. OhioMysteries.com From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. I was going to say, too, this is early 90s, so early DNA. Yeah, right. But they were able to match uh, DNA. Oh, OK. Um, when the police searched the home of Prince's girlfriend, Charla Lewis, they discovered Holly Tarr's opal ring. The ring was only one of 63 that had been manufactured, none of them having been distributed for sale further west than Michigan or Wisconsin. Charla Lewis said that Prince gave her the ring in December of 1990. Yikes. Um, so now we're going to bounce on over to, the, to uh, this guy's trial. During the trial, an FBI agent testified that the six murders bore common signatures that led him to believe that they were all committed by the same person. Anna Cotalesa Ritchie, who was the woman who was followed from the store to her apartment, positively identified Prince at a video lineup as the person who had followed her, and she identified him at trial. David Holden, a co-worker of Prince's at NACOM Communications, testified that Prince mentioned a girl named Janine. He said that Prince told him that he worked out with her at a gym and went to her home for sexual encounters on one or two occasions. Holden also testified that Prince commented that the police never would capture the Claremont murderer. Wow. Yeah, well, he was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) 
Raymond Huntley, a jailhouse informant, testified to several conversations that he had with Prince. On one occasion, Prince allegedly said that he didn't have nothing for no white bitches. Mm, wow. In another, Prince noted that his, in his job with the cable company, if he found a woman he wanted to hit, he would check the name on the mailbox to determine whether she lived alone. <gasps> now, in that case, uh, I think by hit, he meant uh, have sex with. Yeah, hit it. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. you can hit this. I'm just kidding. Not you. <laughs> um, uh, so the two men discussed assaulting women. Huntley had been convicted of such crimes. Prince reported that he enjoyed stalking women. And once he selected one, he enjoyed playing with his victims, letting them believe that they would escape. And then he he would do them. Uh, Prince also said that he enjoyed watching blood drip from a knife onto the victim's pubic area. Wow. Yeah. Was this all over coffee or tea or drinks? Where do you have these conversations? Why is, yeah, why isn't anybody calling the authorities? <laughs> They're in jail. Oh, okay. Never mind. <laughs> They're over a, a nice glass of toilet wine. Oh, yeah. Hooch. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, shout out, shout out to Ear Hustle, because um, they they have described how they make it in the toilet, and I just thought, found that so fascinating that uh, that happens. Yeah, they talk about it in um, Orange Is the New Black in the book too. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I think so. I think oh, I remember okay. that they did. I know they talked about making prison cheesecake, which I think I've already talked about on the podcast before. Oh, that. <laughs> sounds disgusting it, it does um okay so the prosecution presented evidence establishing that the murders at the buena vista gardens apartment complex ceased after prince moved out in the first week of may 1990 prince sat impassively through the trial sometimes doodling on a piece of paper he rarely looked up, even when his mother, Dorothy Prince, testified. <sighs> she testified against her son? Or maybe well, she was she a just, character witness on was, his behalf? Yeah, I'm sure they called her to testify, and she had to. Mm. But during one break in the proceedings, when Charla Lewis, Prince's former girlfriend, was on the stand as attorneys were meeting privately with Judge Patricia Cowett, Lewis was left on the witness stand and Prince at the defense table. Lewis tried not to meet his gaze and Prince looked solemnly ahead, but eventually their eyes met and Prince broke into a smile and began laughing. Woo. Yeah, that'd be kind of terrifying. Mm -hmm. Lewis testified that Prince worked a variety of jobs with shifts beginning at 3 p.m. And on the days of most of the crimes, he had that shift. All the murders reportedly occurred before 3. Wow. On July 13th, 1992, after a four-month trial, the jury found 26-year-old Cleophas Prince Jr. guilty. He was also charged and found guilty of 21 counts of burglary, and he was sentenced to death. Prince had no reaction, and um, he got up and, uh, I mean, he was reactionless throughout the whole trial. But once the death sentence was um, given to him, he stood up and he was like, I'm innocent. I didn't kill y'all daughters. Um, I'm sorry about what happened to them, but I didn't do it. It makes me sad to see their bodies, uh, their their uh, the crime scene photos, just as sad as it makes you guys, but I didn't do it. So, yeah. So now we're going to get into where are they now? What do you got, Beth? 
Well, Prince appealed his sentence of death and the Supreme Court of California denied his appeal in 2007. Prince is still on death row at San Quentin and still claims innocence. Janine Marie Weinhold's parents donated money to purchase playground equipment at the South Claremont Park and Recreation Center in her memory. Holly Tars Okimos Michigan High School established the Holly Tar Memorial Award for Choral and Theater, which is awarded annually to a chosen Okimos senior to honor the memory of Holly. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So uh, now we're going to get into what we think made him snap and uh, takeaways. So looks like you got a doozy, Beth. What are your thoughts? <laughs> React. Well, there's there's a few unusual things about his crimes. Well, first, first I, you know, at the end we say he's 26 year old. He was only 26. That's really young. Yeah. It's just kind of shocking that he did mm-hmm. all this and he was only 26. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, like I said, there's a few unusual things about his crimes. Uh, one is that he only killed white women. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other is that he killed in such close proximity to where he lived. I mean, serial killers usually do kill somewhere around where they lived, but he was killing like in his own apartment complex. Yeah, uh, his neighbors. Yeah, Yeah. which is pretty nuts. Mm -hmm. And he also found weapons at the crime scenes. Like he didn't go in there with a weapon. He would Mm -hmm. go in and get a knife instead of bringing a knife with him um so maybe maybe uh winging it was part of the thrill for him i don't i don't Mm. know Mm. and sometimes he raped his victims and sometimes he didn't but what seemed most important to him was the act of stabbing and um he also seemed to like posing the bodies uh that there was a lot of mentioning about how the bodies were positioned right And I read in the book uh, Signature Killers by Robert Keppel that sometimes a killer can delay his sexual gratification until later if what gets him off is controlling the crime scene. And that's what he thought about uh, Prince is that he he really liked controlling the crime scene. Oh, yeah. And Prince seemed really impulsive to me. Mm-hmm. Like the the Holly Tar murder, uh, he just went off and followed her, even though his her friend was still at the pool. That seems crazy. Yeah. And uh, Keppel made the comment that Prince was both organized and disorganized in that he didn't always plan out his crimes, Mm -hmm. but that he liked the power of having control over the crime scene. So maybe, you know, he kind of liked the chaos in a way uh, like that was kind of a thrill. But then he also liked having control over the crime scene. Mm -hmm. He also seemed to have a peakerism fetish, which I don't think we've talked about that before. For. This is the first I'm hearing this word. <laughs> so it's when it's when somebody gets off on uh, penetrating the skin of someone else with a sharp object, oh, and Lord, yeah, that's that's a pretty uh, niche fetish, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Let me check Pornhub. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I uh, you know I don't I don't give a shit what people's fetishes are if they don't hurt anybody, but this particular fetish does hurt people, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not really sure uh, how somebody gets that kind of fetish, but um, I suppose uh, something 
I don't know, uh, something goes a little haywire. Maybe. I mean, I'm certainly not one to kink shame. Oh, um, no, no, I'm not shaming. Like I'm just like, wh- how do you get that? Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know. That's a really good question um, that I'm unqualified to answer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Me um, too. <laughs> um, one thing we, I don't think we mentioned in the story is um, that investigators were like, he's catching a lot of these women when they're alone in the shower. And uh, they were like, I wonder if you can hear the water. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he, uh, so it was pretty clear that if a shower was running in an apartment that you could go outside and you could hear when it came on and off. So you would know when somebody was in a vulnerable position, if, you know, that's right. what you were listening for. Um, yeah. I think the brutality and the brazenness of his crimes is pretty breathtaking. Yeah, it is. Um, also, it's just interesting how he was kind of organized and then also, but stalked people. And um, so he was kind of all over the place. Also, yeah. uh, we talked a lot about race and serial killers. And one thing that um, profilers get wrong, which we learned from uh, Phil Chalmers, um, Emmy Award-winning crime uh, writer, is that white serial killers usually only kill white people, but POC killers don't necessarily discriminate. And this is a really good example of that. And um, to that point, um, it has to, I think, do with proximity. Like a white person can go about their day and life and hardly ever run into a person of color if they if they want right. and right. um people of color aren't able to move about the uh, the the world without running into the same other white way people. yeah 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 um so i just thought that was interesting yeah hello this is gary chahot welcoming you to check out the french history podcast our main show covers the history of france from the first humans until present If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series... And that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. 
<clears throat> so, if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> <laughs> this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. All right. Go ahead, Beth. So uh, one of the things that uh, happened in this uh, story was that Prince would break into people's apartments that didn't have deadbolts. Mm -hmm. So get a deadbolt if you don't have one already. I think most places do have deadbolts these days. But if you don't have one, get one. Mm -hmm. And uh, pay attention to your surroundings, as always, and watch to see if anyone is following you home from somewhere. Uh, This guy liked to follow women and then push his way inside or break in while they were distracted while showering. So if you think someone is following you, don't go straight home. Keep calm. Don't panic. Uh, Use positive talk to yourself. Tell yourself, okay, calm down. Don't panic. I can deal with this right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because if you panic, uh, you might make a mistake. Keep paying attention to your surroundings and to where you're going. Call the police and go somewhere public. Never head for a dark alley through fields or woods, which seems uh, like common sense. But when you're scared, sometimes you do things like that. Yeah. Always head for open public spaces, well lit if night and wherever there are the most people around. If there's nobody around that you can see, consider yelling fire as loudly as you can because people pay attention to that for whatever reason. You yell help or rape. People don't pay attention. But fire, that gets their attention. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. If you have a personal alarm or a whistle, and you should, use it to make as much noise as possible. Draw as much attention to yourself as you can. If you have a cell phone and you're calling the police, announce to the person following you that you're calling the police. (laughs) Yeah. Great (laughs) tips, Beth. That deadbolt one is is a really simple one. We actually got a second deadbolt, so it's it's oh, double wow. deadbolted. Um, because people were like breaking into people's houses in my neighborhood and just kicking the door in. Not even wow. And, and so the not, um, not even we, bothering with uh, even, trying to unlock it. Right. So when when that was happening, whew, we got a second deadbolt ASAP. Good idea. Um, let's see. Oh, now we're going to get into a segment of our show where we talk about any serial killer or true crime news. And I just saw this on my, um, maybe it's on my Twitter feed. Um, uh-huh. and it was a video. So I was like, whoa, this lady's bleeding all over the place. What's going on? <laughs> so, uh, La, La Katrina, AKA the Dame of Death, uh, was a female Mexican cartel assassin. And um, she was killed in a shootout with police last week. Maria Guadalupe Lopez Esquivel was 21 years old. Uh, She had a social media. Yeah, very young. She had a social media following where she would post, you know, like sexy pictures of herself with like guns. Um, And um, one famous one is uh, a, a post 
that is has been dubbed the girl with the golden gun. So just Google it. You can see she's she's gorgeous. But apparently she was very ruthless. Um, She was shot in the neck after engaging in a shootout with her hit squad. Um, She was with the Jalisco New Generation Cartel. Um, This particular cartel um, split from a bigger one uh, and established itself in 2009 and is infamous for their extreme displays of violence uh, and the images are Googleable, like um, uh, public hangings um, and a long list of massacres. Um, it is now one of the biggest cartels in Mexico, as um, as I understand. Um, Lopez led a hit squad and was responsible for ordering hits on people, extorting people and um, kidnappings. And this made the news again when the video online showed Lopez with an apparent gunshot wound to her neck and um, like a Mexican police officer was like trying to comfort her and he was like don't worry the ambulance is going to come soon we're going to get you to a hospital but um, shortly thereafter she was scooped up by several uniformed armed men and put into a helicopter and she later um, died from her wounds. Um, I just thought it was I was like whoa uh, uh, girl with the golden gun dame of death like uh, these are all like um, captivating um, names and so I was really by the story. I thought it was interesting. Yeah. So. Never even heard of any of these things. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, I thought so. Um, so now we're going to get into the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. So what do you got, Beth? Well, I've been listening to a couple of podcasts that were originally, I think they were released as Audible Originals, but now they're podcasts, or maybe it was the other way around. I'm not really sure. But in any case, they're by the same guy named John Ronson, and uh, he's white, so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) And there are two, two podcasts, but they can both be found under the title The Last Days of August. So the second podcast is of that title, The Last Days of August. But the first one is actually called The Butterfly Effect. And it's not the same as the movie. (laughs) Oh, good, because that was trash. (laughs) Yeah, not in any way, shape, or form. It's about the porn industry, specifically about how free porn has changed our society, like streaming porn. Yeah. Uh, The second uh, podcast, uh, The Last Days of August, is also about the porn industry, but about one particular porn star who died in her last days. Her name was August Ames. Oh, she was a porn star and uh, she died. So they are they are really, really fascinating. Um, It's a world I had, you know no knowledge of so um the stories are interesting there's a little bit of true crime involved but uh mostly they're just really interesting well-told stories so wanted to shout that out well thank you beth um you're welcome ladies and gentlemen it's time for us to go but before we do beth where can the people (laughs) find us our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, and our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod, and links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean Patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod 
Pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. All right. Well, this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.